0: Well, good morning again. I tell you, I'm excited this time of the year to begin to minister to you about the hope of Christmas. That is the series that we have been in over the past several weeks. And if when I just remember when we were little kids, uh, we used to start counting down at this point, right? Counting down to the number of days to Christmas. We would be so excited. You know, when you get a little older, things change a little bit. We sort of lower our expectations on what we're going to receive. We don't quite think we're going to get something unexpected or or something that is extravagant, right? So it's no need to count down for those socks, you know, or or that, that sweater or maybe that bathrobe that you might be getting, you know. So we just say, okay, we'll wait until that day comes and we'll be happy, you know, to receive whatever it is that we get. I recently read an article about someone who purchased a rare gift for a friend this past Friday. See, this past Friday, a book went up for auction. It was the Harry, Potter, Harry Potter's book. It was one of the first 50 books that were printed in 1997. And this book was auctioned off for $10,000. It's like 10000 I started reading a little bit more about this book, and last year I found out that a signed copy of this book, Harry Potter, went for about a half million dollars. I'm sorry. I just don't get it, right? I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What what is this? This is a fiction book that has no bearing on real life, right? Um, The spells in it have no power whatsoever, but I do know of, of a book. A book that, if you read it, it'll change your life, that it has timeless principles in this book. This book is a historical book and not a book of fiction. This is a book that will shift your understanding of who you are and transform your life forever. It is the words of God placed in this book we call the Bible. Yeah. This book is priceless to us. Less than two years after the resurrection an Egyptian man, was reading one of the 66 books that make up our Bible, the book of Isaiah. He reads this passage of Scripture, and shortly after, he receives an unexpected gift that is not only unexpected but extravagant. It changes his life forever. See, we've been in this series looking at Christmas in the Old Testament through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah because Isaiah foretold the coming of the Messiah or who Jesus was. And he prophesied that God would reveal himself through the virgin birth. He prophesied that this man would be given the title of Emmanuel, God with us. This would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. But today, we're going to learn that his life was unexpected. There were some things about the Messiah that no one could foretell. And I really believe that if we unwrap the words of this particular scripture that we're going to be looking at, that you might just receive an early Christmas gift. It might be unexpected, but also extravagant. But it could change a life forever if you just embrace the passage of scripture that we'll be looking at today. So today, I've decided to title this particular message, The Unexpected Gift. The Unexpected Gift. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this gift that you've given us. Today, someone might hear these words and find that it's unexpected, but find that it is an extravagant gift, the gift of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open up our ears and our hearts to this message this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Today we're going to start out in the New Testament in Acts chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles, we ask that you can Grab your electronic uh, devices. We also have some new Bibles actually in some of the front seats. So if you need a Bible, you can grab one. If you're at home right now, we just invite you to grab your Bible, um, pull up your electronic device. Uh, Don't just take my word for it. Look at the words yourself, read it as I'm reading it. The words are also going to be on the screens for you as well. So we find passages of scripture that the prophet Isaiah wrote in the New Testament as well, we'll find that today. In Acts chapter eight, we're gonna start at verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. This story begins to open up with Philip. Philip is one of the original deacons that was called back in Acts chapter 6. He was one of seven deacons, but we also find that Philip was an evangelist. Because Philip is in Samaria, he's evangelizing, and God sends an angel to give him a message to go to this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip doesn't question it at all. He just immediately is obedient. He begins this journey to this road that actually leads through a desert. So he's finding himself in the middle of nowhere on this road, and he sees this chariot. We see in this story that... He comes up to this chariot and finds that there's an Ethiopian man sitting in this chariot. Let's keep looking at the scriptures um, to just see exactly what he says. If we look back at this scripture, it says that he's an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace. So just in these few verses, we learn a lot about who this man was. We learned that he was a high-ranking official. The fact that he was sitting in a chariot uh, spoke of his royalty and his status. This was a man that was in charge of the entire treasury of the nation of Ethiopia at the time. We also learned that this man was a loyal servant. He's an Ethiopian eunuch, and eunuch means that he has been castrated for the purpose of trusted servitude. The men that served within the palace during that time would be castrated to make sure that they were not tempted to have uh, sexual intercourse with people that worked or lived in the palace. It was also important that they would prevent plotting and overthrow by creating a dynasty of their own. So this man was a loyal servant. We also find out that this Ethiopian has converted to Judaism. That means that he is now adopting and adhering to all of the principles, all of the laws of the Old Testament. He's dedicated. This Ethiopian official has left Ethiopia and traveled all the way to Jerusalem to get to the Jerusalem temple. This is no small feat, it's 2,500 miles. That's as if you were standing on the boardwalk of Atlantic City and decided to take a chariot ride all the way to San Francisco, California. Yeah, that's dedication, isn't it? He takes this chariot ride all the way across the desert just so he can get to the temple, and no doubt he made it to the temple and found himself outside in the courtyard because he was considered a mutilated Gentile. The Gentiles were not able to go beyond the outer courts of the temple, so there's not too much going on out in the outer courts of the temple. He has taken this long trek across the countryside, and now he's forced to stand outside in the courtyard. So although this is a man who had, had access to royalty at home, this is a man who had wealth, had a chariot, and status, this is a man who left Ethiopia, filled with pride as he traveled on the roads to get to Jerusalem, but now he's leaving the temple of Jerusalem, likely being filled with self-hatred because he couldn't get too far. He didn't make it too far to the temple, getting inside because he was a Gentile. Where well, the spirit of the Lord then tells Philip to come up alongside of this chariot, and he hears this Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah. So this man has not given up on his faith. He's trying to discover how he fits in the story. And God leads Philip to come alongside the chariot. And he's like, hey, I hear you. You're reading the book of Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading there? And the Ethiopian said, how can a man really understand this unless he is taught? Philip obliges and says, I I, I know a little bit about what he's talking about there. So now the Ethiopian invites him to come up into his chariot to have a seat. And he begins to, uh, Philip now begins to minister to this Ethiopian, this Ethiopian official. Let's keep looking at the text. In verse 32, he says, now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb as a lamb in silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who would describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now, first of all, it would have been difficult for any person to to really get a scroll like this. It wasn't a Bible like we have printed. It was in a scroll. These scrolls were handwritten. This was before the printing press. So these are handwritten scrolls, but this was a man of authority and a man of wealth. And so no doubt this man had the ability as the CFO of Ethiopia to afford one of these scrolls. The scrolls would have looked like this, and I wanted you to take a look at this picture. This is a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls that we actually that was actually found in 1947. I think I have a picture of that. Um, it's a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe we don't. Okay. Well, I'll just describe what it looked like. The Dead Sea Scrolls is basically this long scroll. It's old, and um, it's this basically a scroll that opens up and it has all the writing is it writes from left to right. Um, and this particular scroll that was found in 1947 in the Qumran Caves of the Judean Desert was a scroll that was carbon dated to be between 100 and 300 BC. That scroll that you can go right now to the Israel Museum of Jerusalem, you can find that scroll And you can see it right there with your own eyes. Well, the scroll that this Ethiopian man had would have been um, actually younger than this scroll that's already out there that you can go and take a look at. He's reading this scroll. And he begins to ask Philip some questions. He says, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip answers in verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Let's go to the scroll of Isaiah. We have it written in the word of God. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to start at the beginning at verse 1, because this is the text that he is reading in that chariot. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. So verse one opens up in the form of a question. He says, who has believed what we have heard? Who would have ever imagined that God's story here about God coming to us would be such a humble introduction to the Jews today that still hold to Judaism. This particular chapter is one that causes them to scratch their head because in this verse it says that the Messiah actually grew up. And we don't get this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. We get the sense that he doesn't have the stature of Saul, nor does he have the good looks of David. But, but here we read in the Scriptures that this man has nothing that would draw Israel towards him. But yet he's supposed to be the king or the Messiah. The Ethiopian would have read this passage and realized that that Jesus, the king, did not come to lead with political power or any type of financial influence, but he would lead with something else. The Savior of the world was not born in a palace or put a or given a silver spoon in his mouth. Not at all. We get this picture of a humble beginning. The creator of the universe is described as a root out of dry ground. This is unexpected. Jesus came relating to the common man. See God would stoop all the way down. All the way down he left his chariot in heaven to come down and mingle with mankind. Yeah, that's what he does for us. Sometimes we look at our own financial status. We look at ourselves in the mirror. We look at what we wear, we think about what we can afford that'll go under that Christmas tree and Think about where we live, our zip code, and we somehow believe that these things might get us a little bit closer to God, that somehow we are a little bit better than somebody else. But here the passage of Scripture says that God stooped down to be like a root out of dry ground. Look at what he says in verse 4. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. When Jesus comes, instead of putting an end to violence, he's a victim of violence. This was startling for the people who would read this particular text because it says that he was struck down, he's pierced, he's punished, he's crushed. And this was because of our sins. Who would have thought that the Savior of the world would come and suffer the way he did? See, the unexpected gift would experience violence. That's sort of us. One of the first points I want you to understand about the Christmas story that this gift would experience violence. Many of you saw The Passion of the Christ. I'm sure you probably have. It was a blockbuster many years ago. And in that movie, you saw the brutality of the Roman government and how they tortured the victims before they were crucified. And then they were crucified, and in that movie, The Passion of the Christ, we see that Jesus endured this suffering for us. And God's redemptive plan, we know that there's a wooden manger, but there's also a wooden cross. The Christmas story um, has both of those things. It's inseparable. That's God's redemptive plan for mankind a wooden manger, and a wooden cross. Look at verse 5. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Philip would have explained to this Ethiopian man the suffering that Jesus endured for him. Philip would go into detail on how Jesus was physically tortured, that he was emotionally tormented, that he was spiritually in agony as he hung on that cross for him. Verse 5 said that his punishment brought our peace by his wounds. We are healed. This is substitutionary suffering. For Jesus came so that he might suffer and take on what we really deserved. Verse 6 begins and ends with, we all, all of us have gone astray. I remember I was about five or six years old. And it was about two weeks before Christmas My brother and I could barely stand it because two weeks before Christmas feels like eternity. We couldn't wait until Christmas came. We were living on a military base at the time. My brother and I were watching Sesame Street and on the military bases, you would have a laundromat down in the basement and everybody sort of shared it. And my mom said, listen, I'm going to go down into the laundromat and uh, get the clothes out of the dryer. I want you to sit there and watch Sesame Street and wait until I come back. So my mom went down with a little basket. As soon as she closed the door, my brother and I looked at each other, yeah, and said, let's play hide and go see. And I remember my brother stayed there. I went into the apartment. Now, this is a little apartment, so there's not too many places to hide. I knew that I wasn't supposed to ever go and play in mom and dad's room. It was sort of off limits, but I thought, hey, it's a hide-go-seat. What better place to hide than mom and dad's room? So I go into mom and dad's room. I go into the closet, and as soon as I opened up the closet door, there it was, a sea of toys. I couldn't believe it. I screamed to my brother. I said, Fred, we've hit the jackpot. My brother came running into the room and we saw all of these toys to the top of the ceiling. We looked at each other and we were like, this is what mom and dad do when they lock the door at night. They play with the best toys ever. We immediately commenced to aggressively playing with all of the toys as fast as we possibly could. We were ripping open the package. We were playing with the toys. We were in a toy trance. So much so that our mom came back standing over us. We didn't even notice her. You know, we just happened to look up. And I looked at my mom. Her eyes were this big. And she said, get out. Get out of my room. And we all got up. My brother and I got up. We knew we were in the wrong. We were guilty. We had sinned. We put our heads down. And we began to take the march out of her room. She didn't kick us out of the house. But we went out into the room, we were punished. Christmas came, we opened up the gifts, and guess what? They were all new gifts. We were like, wow, this is wonderful. What a wonderful Christmas. Years later, when we got older, our parents told us what happened. We had discovered in their closet all the gifts that they had already shopped for us for Christmas. And they had to go through the painstaking Uh, procedure of going back to the stores, trying to recoup the money, trying to take the stuff back. They said that, you know, we had, that when they tried to take it back, we had ripped the package off of stuff. They wouldn't take it back. We had broken some of the toys in our toy trance. You know, we were that fixated on playing with, you know, the rock'em sock'em, the evil Knievel, you know, yeah, the stretch man and the pickup sticks, you know. I know I just dated myself, did I? Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all know what the pickup sticks are, you know? If you're online right now, just type in if you know what evil can evil, the stretch man, or the pickup sticks are. Yeah. They suffered because they had to pay for new gifts so that our Christmas would be special. They did that for us. It was the most expensive. Christmas that they ever experienced. See, because of the sin of mankind, a greater payment needed to be made for us to remain in a relationship with a holy God. When Adam and Eve sinned, he kicked them out of the garden, but he did not kick them out of the world. See, what he did, he was so holy, he could not just shrug off sin, but he was so loving that he did not destroy us. Instead, he devised a plan and he he loved us that he was willing to suffer by making a payment so that our relationship would be still solidified. This payment could not be made by anybody but himself. And so he gives himself completely. He suffers by giving his life so that we might be in a relationship with a holy God so his pathway for our rescue would not be our works, but faith in his works, faith in his suffering and what he did for us on the cross. Look at what he says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is not just substitutionary suffering, it's substitutionary atonement. Atonement means to make a payment. Yeah, this is to make a payment for something. This exchange touches all who have recognized that we have sinned against God, against a holy God. And we believe that it is by his wounds that we are healed. And through that, we receive his righteousness. See, this unexpected gift would not only experience violence, but also would be vicarious. Vicarious means that this is works done for someone else. It's a wonderful gift. It was so unexpected because he would do this for us. Christmas opens our eyes to the priceless gift of this spotless lamb that was given for us. Look at verse seven, it says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shearers. He did not open his mouth. The Ethiopian official, because he had converted to Judaism, he would have read the Old Testament text and understood that it was at the temple that a lamb was sacrificed on a a regular basis for the sins of mankind. He would have understood that, and Philip now informs him that there was no need for a lamb to be sacrificed at the temple anymore. That Jesus Christ has now given himself as this sacrificial lamb for the sins of mankind once and for all. And there was no need for him to get all the way into the temple courts, the holy of holies. And so whether he was out in the courtyard or he was close to the holy of holies, it didn't matter. Because the lamb had already been sacrificed once and for all for his sins. He explains that this was a willing sacrifice on the part of Jesus. We find that because in John chapter 10, verse 18, look at what Jesus says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So Jesus comes and fulfills the prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah, this unexpected gift would not only be experiencing violence, would not only be vicarious, but it was also voluntary. No one made him do this. He willed this. This was the plan from the very beginning, that the Christmas story was all about God's plan, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in concert together to bring us salvation, to rescue us to take us from where we were, to to bring us closer to him. Philip explains that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that that payment for him was good. Christmas focuses on the spotless little lamb, but the lamb came with a purpose. He came for a reason. See, the Ethiopian realized that although he was a man of royalty, that he was a man that was in charge of the Federal Reserve, and that he was given the privilege to travel on an ancient limousine all the way to the, to the Temple of Jerusalem, but he finds that this brings him no closer to God. At the same time, he has come to realize that the fact that he was rejected the temple and not given the ability to go any closer, closer was now broken, but now he didn't have to get closer to the temple. But now because of faith in what Jesus Christ has done for him, God would then dwell within him and wherever he goes, whether he would be on the outer courts or the inner courts, then God would be with him. It changes his understanding of himself. Isaiah 53 changed him. Will you let God's unexpected gift change you? Will you allow that gift that he had given, that even though it was unexpected, let it change you? Will you be humbled out of the pride that causes you to look down maybe on other people? Or will you allow allow God to affirm you out of the self-hatred that causes you to look down maybe on yourself? See, what the gospel story does is he he causes us to get rid of the superiority and the inferiority. This is what the reconstructed identity of living in Christ looks like. It's very different. We have a proper understanding of who we are. His unexpected gift of grace was costly, but let it change you. Let it change you from the inside out. Let it humble you and affirm you. That's what the Christmas story should do. Once we understand the totality of God's redemptive plan for your life, what it does is it humbles us, but it affirms us at the same time. It gets rid of the pride, but it also gives us a sense of security knowing who we are in Christ. See how it changes your mind and it restructures our thinking about who we are. It helps us learn on how we are supposed to walk alongside of other people. So whether you have a chariot on your way to work, or you have to take the bus. God is still with you. God comes to us as the common man, so that we might know that he is at reach for everyone. He's also a God that helps us know that no matter what nationality we are, whether you Ethiopian, doesn't even matter about so much your sexuality because this is a man who has been castrated but he doesn't allow his sexuality or his ability to affect his relationship with the holy God because he trusts in Jesus for his salvation. He's now affirmed he goes back to Ethiopia with Jesus it changed him see the good news is the full story of the redemptive plan of God it makes you humble but also prevents you from being insecure Philip begins to explain the good news the gospel and then he explains that thousands of people were filled with the Holy Spirit and were then baptized They continue to take this journey from Jerusalem to Gaza on his way back to Ethiopia. And Philip's riding in the chariot as he's talking about this good news. No doubt that this Ethiopian prays the prayer of salvation. The Ethiopian happens to see some water in the distance. And he asks Philip the question, hey, there's some water over there. Is there anything that keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, Do you believe? He says, I believe. And the scripture says in verse 38 so he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized. Now, tradition says that he went back to Ethiopia. No doubt we know he went back with the good news, the gospel. But the tradition says that he started a church with his wealth. I don't know if that was actually the story, but I know that this was a man who was changed forever and he took that step of faith as soon as he had opportunity and perhaps you today heard this gospel message the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ and and now God is telling you it's time to take a step of faith I just want to tell you that we've already prepared for you an opportunity for you to get baptized so on January the 15th we're going to have a baptism service and if you're interested just jump onto our website just register for that so that we might be able to give you more information about what it is to be baptized, to share with you just how easy that is. But perhaps you're here today and you heard the Christmas story and found that it was a bit unexpected because there was a wooden manger, but there was also a wooden cross in his plan. And that is you I just charge you today to allow the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to change your perspective, that it might restructure your mind and your thinking about who you are. Don't be so prideful to look down on others, but also don't be so insecure to know that you belong to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for you truly are worthy to be praised. God, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you gave us. An unexpected gift, God. Who would know that you would come and suffer and pay the punishment for our sins? But you did. God, we thank you for being holy, but we also thank you for being loving. Because in us, you you had us in mind in this redemptive plan. God, someone here might not have a personal relationship with you or perhaps they're at home right now and they're thinking, I I don't know him like that. God, meet them right now in their homes, right now where they are. Minister to them in your own way so that they might take steps of faith today. God, touch us, God, so that this Christmas would be different. That it would be unexpected and extravagant. It's extravagant because we understand the great payment that was made for us. God, be with us this Christmas season so that we would do what the Ethiopian official did. Share that good news with others. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just want to invite you, if you're here and and you're new, to make sure that at the end of the service that you go back and you fill out a Connect card. We'd like to know a little bit about you, and perhaps you've wanted to make a decision to take that step of faith today. We just ask that you would fill that out so that we might continually follow up with you. But right now, I just want to invite you to stand on your feet so that we might worship.